Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. The Lord keeps a perfect account. And uh, we are thankful for your role and and the part that you play and what God is doing in this corporate expression of His body called Dwelling Place. We're in the series, as you saw there, Next is Now. Pastor Craig kicked us off last Sunday, and I have the honor to be able to continue here in week two. And I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Five scriptures here from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I want to preach a message today titled, Hasn't Changed. Hasn't Changed. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would glorify the risen King, Jesus, your Son. And Holy Spirit, I yield to you and ask that the words would be more than words, but you would use these words to manifest the kingdom of God to hearts and minds and to people's circumstances and situations. That we would experience the reality that you're not a distant God, but you're a God brought near in Jesus and experienced through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Glorify Jesus, and it's in His name I pray. Amen. Change is not easy. Change isn't easy. Amen? As I was thinking about that reality this week, it began to make sense to me because when you think about some of the most difficult changes we experience in life, you begin to find that they're related to things that God never designed to happen. That a lot of change was not the design of God. Growing old and becoming frail and dying was not a part of the design of God. There was no death. To understand the intent of God, of why God created the sun, the moon, the stars, and set them in their orbits and created the earth and filled it with numerous animals in the sea and uh, in the ocean and on land. And then He set mankind of the crown of His creation in the garden that He created. When you look at the intent of God in the beginning, you find that there was no death and there was no sorrow and there were no tears and there were no disasters and there was no wars. That so much of change that you and I experience is change not related to the original design of God. Death, 
brings a change in our relationships. We have grandparents or parents or siblings or friends that have passed away and that relationship has changed. You have disasters where instantaneously, in a moment, in a night, forever changes a city, changes people, where they live, their homes, floods. You have wars that instantly change global realities. You have famines. You have all kinds of things that you and I now know of as a reality to our experience that in the beginning God did not design. In Scripture, of course, because Scripture speaks in some way or is applicable to all the human experience that you and I could ever possibly experience, addresses numerous types of change. In fact, did you know that it's because of one type of change is why the nation of Israel and their religious leaders, the majority of the nation of Israel, handed over the Prince of Life, the Prince of Peace, God's dear Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to Pilate to be crucified, to be hung between heaven and earth. Because in Acts 6 and 14 it says that He said He would change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And they said, we can't have it. Change is too difficult. We know Moses. We know our customs. We know our habits. We know the old covenant. And therefore, one of the reasons they despised and hated Jesus was because He said, we're going to change the customs of Moses. For you and I now, due to our sin and due to the effects of our sin, when it comes to us as humans, we need to change. That sin has affected us and ways and living in an earth where with other sinful humans, sin has affected us in a way where now, Scripture says, that if we're unwilling to change in the way that God desires and calls us to change, that we've lost the fear and reverence of the Lord God, our Maker. In fact, Psalms 55 and 19 says, God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from old, Selah, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. Another type of change you find in scriptures in the Old Testament, there was a type. God used a practical experience as a spiritual illustration that would find its completion in Christ in the New Covenant. And there was this rule and law in the Old Covenant about leprosy. And it said if a human began to have leprosy spread physically on their life, they were to go and show themselves to the priest. Scripture then takes the natural leprosy and uses it as a type and example of spiritual leprosy, sin. And that which seeks to continue to grow and take over our life. And now in Christ, for those that are born again followers of Jesus Christ, every born again follower of Jesus Christ is a part of the priesthood of all believers. And that's why James 5 says that if you have sin that's like leprosy that's trying to increase in your life, it's trying to grow in your mind, grow in your heart, grow in expressing itself upon your body and your actions, go and confess your faults to another brother or sister so that healing may spring forth. It addresses that type of, if sin is seeking to change us, go and shed light on it by confessing it to another brother and sister that healing may begin to flow. God's design may begin to prevail in that area of your life. This was James 5. Scripture says to change what is right standards 
is an abomination to God. To call evil good and call good evil is an abomination to God. That one thing we're not to change is what is right and holy and pure. In fact, if McDonald's continued to call themselves McDonald's, but they were actually serving Burger King hamburgers, that would be ungodly. Meaning, that would be an abomination. In the sense is that it would not be ethical. If, because of inflation, our chip bags and pretzel bags and cookie bags that are getting smaller and weighing less, if they did not notice us of the change in weight and the change in less ounces, that would be unethical. That's why you got, today when you buy it, you got to reflect back when you bought it a year or two ago on had the ounces and the weight changed even though the prices went up. But as long as they notice us, let us know that's not unethical. But to change standards, meaning to call something the same even though it's not the same and has been changed and not make it known that it's no longer the same but has been changed, that's wrong and unethical. Proverbs 20.10 says, Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. To change standards is unethical. In fact, Proverbs, the spirit of wisdom, warns about doing life and keeping deep company with people who are always changing what is right and wrong in their standards. People who always choose convenience over conviction. Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear the Lord, have reverence for the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those given to change. Those who one day call good evil and then the next day call evil good. He says, don't associate. It's dangerous. And so Scripture addresses all types of different change. And change is not easy. But so much does change. So the question then becomes for you and I today at least, What is a healthy way to deal with these realities? With the realities that change is not easy and the realities of that so much does change. This brings us back to our main text. Paul, the apostle by Jesus Christ, one sent forth to declare the gospel in places and to see disciples made in churches then born, writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now Paul at this time, he's in prison. He has finished the last bit of his journey of following Jesus Christ in his ministry. He's about to physically pour out his life. He's going to be a martyr following the full footsteps of his Lord Jesus and give his life for the cause of Christ. And he's right there in prison and he writes the second letter to Timothy that we call the second Timothy. And he says, hey Timothy, I know things are changing. He says right there before our main text in chapter 3 that as the days continue... As it gets closer to the end, there will be perilous times. That's what's called stressful times in the Greek. Things ain't going to get easy. Things are going to get more complicated. There's going to be more stress. Jesus talked about this often. He said there's going to be more famines. There's going to be more earthquakes. These are the beginnings of sorrow. 
that things are going to begin to shake and, he, and people are going to be lovers of themselves more than lovers of what is right and holy and good and caring about how their life affects others in society. And he says, look, I know things have changed. I know, Timothy, you no longer are able to see your grandmother Eunice and, and your mother who had sincere faith and, and now you're in a place of leadership that you never imagined that you would ever be in. And I know things have changed in your life. But Timothy, I charge you. Paul is telling Timothy as though though things have changed and sometimes things that change that we didn't get to get a notice about. That though things have changed, the charge hasn't changed. Let's look at it again. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Today, specifically, the type of change that I want to address is the changes that are unexpected in life. The changes that happen in life that occur that we can't control. The changes that happen without our vote. The changes that happen without our input. The changes that happen in life that affect us and yet we didn't have a voice in the matter. We, didn't, we weren't able to give a, our signature of approval. It's just we are thrust into unexpected change. That's the type of change I want to talk about. When the next is now and we didn't even get a notice. They didn't send us a six-month notice that because people are playing around with bat feces that a global pandemic would happen. What do we do when we find ourselves in unexpected change as the people of God? This is what Paul speaks to. What do we do when we were laid off and we unexpectedly? What do we do when a spouse passes away unexpectedly? What do we do when our athletic career ends because of an injury? What do we do in such times? Well, here the text speaks to us, just like Paul spoke to Timothy. And he says, listen, the charge hasn't changed. The Greek word charge there means to affirm and confirm a thing. To confirm and affirm a thing. See, there's great power in the ability to affirm and confirm a thing when everything else in life, you have questions about what's going to happen. You no longer are confident to confirm where you're going to work, what's going to happen next, what's going to come next, the, the deglobalization, the economy. When you're unable to affirm and confirm about so many things, the ability to affirm and confirm some things has great power and encouragement in it. And that's what Paul tells Timothy. He's saying, look, there's a lot of things that you're not going to be able to affirm and confirm, and you're not sure that all that you're going to face in the leadership and, and all you're going to face now that I'm about to give my life and, and as your mentor I'll no longer be able to relate to you, and I know you're going to find yourself in some unexpected situations and circumstances. But Timothy, remember this, the charge hasn't changed. Seasons may change, but the charge hasn't changed. And that's why he says in verse 2, preach the Word. Why? Because the Word of God hasn't changed. 
Paul says, the charge to preach the word. Charge means to make firm and to strengthen. He says, son Timothy, I want to strengthen you and I want to affirm to you that even when you're in a different season, even when you're in unexpected chaos, preach the word. You can affirm it. You can affirm it at all seasons. You can affirm it at all times. You can affirm it when you feel in chaos. You can affirm it when you're in unexpected circumstances and situations. You can affirm that the word of God remains the same. It hasn't changed. He says, listen, verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure. See, they may change, but the Word of God will not change. He says, they will not endure sound teaching. The desires of people might change, but the Word of God will not change. Can I tell you that what is sound hasn't changed? That when it comes to what is sound, unchanging words that can direct and encourage your life and that your life can be built on, whether you're in a season where there is no rain or whether you're in a season where the rain is upon you, that there is a word that remains fixed and firm and unchanged as revealed in Jesus and His Scriptures. And He says, what sound, sound hasn't changed. What sound to build your life on, what sound to direct your life upon, what is sound hasn't changed. But what people say will change. What people want will change. The type of teachers in the last days will change. But the Word of God hasn't changed and what is sound hasn't changed. And this brings a question to us. Because here it says that there are people that they will turn their ears to teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. And the question this means for you and I, listen, in in all contexts of life, in dealing with our family, in dealing with friends, in dealing with co-workers, in dealing with neighbors, is this. When you hear a sound from another voice in your life, the question is this, what do the voices in your life turn you towards? If the voices in your life doesn't turn you towards the unchanging Word of God, then that counsel, that voice is not sound and good for your life. Because notice, these voices turn their ears away from the truth and towards fables and stories and cotton candy fantasies. But nothing that is sound to build our life upon. See, sometimes we have voices in our life and they're not turning us to the truth. They're turning us to our feelings. Listen, I know they might be a friend. I know you might love them. But if their voice ain't turning you to the truth and they're turning your attention to your feelings, that's not sound counsel and advice. Because feelings change. What is right in society might change. But what's right in God's eyes never changes. The Word of God hasn't changed. And then he says this. He says, so preach the Word in verse 2 because also in verse 3 there will be these wrong kind of teachers that will teach the wrong things that are not sound teaching, sound doctrine. The other thing, Timothy, the charge is, is the methodology hasn't changed. Timothy, technology is going to change. But the methodology doesn't change. 
Preach and teach. Preach and teach. The methodology doesn't change. Preach and teach to see people observe what it is that Jesus has called us to. Preach and teach. Now we might use different technologies. We might use now YouTube and Facebook and we might have new currencies and cryptocurrencies and we might have uh, digital books and not just, you know, uh, bound books. And though the technologies change, the methodology doesn't preach and teach through those means. Preach and teach. So much is changing, Timothy, but preaching and teaching remains the same. Your old preacher might have changed, but the Word of God hasn't changed. Some of the old denominations you come from might have changed. Well, actually, no, they probably haven't changed. Uh, They don't normally change well. But um, listen, friends you grew up with might have changed, but the Word of God hasn't changed. People that used to walk this journey with Jesus with you might have changed, but the Word of God hasn't changed. So he says, Timothy, remember, the charge hasn't changed. Preach and teach to see people observing that which is sound, that which is God's design for their life. And he's saying, look, the call to biblical balance hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. Don't just have preaching and that context for teaching. And don't just teach without also preaching and proclaiming. So the Word of God hasn't changed, and guess what else hasn't changed? The importance of the Holy Spirit's ministry hasn't changed. He says, see, if you'll preach the Word and you'll teach the Word and not what people want to hear, He says then in verse 2, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, convince. The word convince is the Greek word to convict, to refute, to bring conviction by bringing something to light, to admonish or to call to account, to show one his fault. What he says is the call, the charge hasn't changed. The charge to preach the Word and to teach the Word hasn't changed. And when you keep the charge, then you will be seeing the Holy Spirit do what only He can do. He will bring conviction. He will convict people that they're turning away from the truth. He will convict people that their habits are wrong. He will convict people that you're going to give an account for what it is you're doing. Jesus, in the last moments before He would be betrayed and He would be scourged and then, of course, crucified, He's with His closest disciples and He tells them, John 16, I'm about to return to the Father, but I'm going to give you a helper. Thank God for the helper. And he says in John 16 and verse 8, And when He, the Holy Spirit, the Helper has come, He will convict the world of sin. Somebody say sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in Me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see Me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Here he's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says that the role of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convince, is to convict in the world of sin. Did you know the Holy Spirit is a spirit who convicts? Convicts. And then he says this, be ready in season, out of season, convince and rebuke. Do you know why the ministry of the Holy Spirit rebukes? Because the Holy Spirit of God is also the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. In fact, Proverbs says that the Spirit of God can never have that which is false upon 
his lips. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit who convicts, but the Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of truth that brings rebuke when our life is getting away from God's unchanging word, unchanging truth. And then he says this, exhort, exhort. You know why the ministry of the Holy Spirit leads to also exhortation? Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of encouragement. So the Holy Spirit is not just the Spirit who convicts and not just the Spirit who rebukes by exposing where we're believing feelings or opinions of man over the unchanging truth of God. But the Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of God who encourages. So the Word hasn't changed. The ministry of the Spirit hasn't changed. And you know what? The character of God hasn't changed. He says right after that in verse 2, Preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering. Long-suffering. You know long-suffering is a fruit of the Holy Spirit according to Galatians 5? You know why it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's God. The Holy Spirit's not a force, not just a move, not just the energy. The Holy Spirit is God. And because the Holy Spirit of God, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, is the character of God, which is long-suffering. Maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not, but in the Old Testament, God begins to tell the history of how He began to call and form a group of people into a nation. A nation that would be formed under His hand, under His seal, that they would declare the goodness of God to other nations. That nation was in a house of bondage, in Pharaoh's bondage. They were slaves for over 400 plus years and God raises up a deliverer named Moses and He sends Moses to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And God with an outstretched arm through mighty deliverance brings out this group of people that He's going to form into a nation and He brings them to Mount Sinai which God told Moses that that would be evidence that God was leading and with him and had anointed and sent him. And they're there at Mount Sinai and Moses goes up the mountain and he spends time in the manifest presence of God and God gives him the laws and the statutes and the judgments that God wanted to begin to form and mold this people, and to a nation that would be set apart to God to declare His excellency and to declare His light and goodness to other nations that God wanted to reach and He wanted to make Himself known to. Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the tablets in his hand, and the people have already gotten tired of waiting on the leaders to lead, Moses to lead. And they have formed and fashioned after what felt right to them a calf, a golden calf to worship. Moses throws down the tablets and they break. And God says, it's time to move on from this mountain. Moses says, oh, but I need to know that you're with me. And so I want to read some more of this story. This is in Exodus 33. Moses says, I need to know that you're with me and I want to see your glory. And God says, okay, I'll show you my glory, but I can't show you my face for no one can see my face and live. But in Exodus 33 and 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. 
and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now look at Exodus 34 and verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, watch this, which you broke. I want you to notice that. That's what God said, which you broke. Let's keep reading. Now go over to verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is loaded. See, listen, it's one thing for you and I to want to declare or determine what God's like. It's another thing for God Himself to declare to us who He is. And this is what Moses is getting in this moment. And God declares to Moses, I am forgiving and gracious and merciful and long-suffering and abounding with goodness and truth and yet by no means clearing the guilty. See, each of us, based on our personality and life experience, have a personal preference. Some of us like truth. We like the unchanging truth and truth declared but we're not too good with the mercy and the graciousness of God. Others of us like the forgiving and the mercy and the graciousness of God. We just ain't too good with truth. But listen, you can't separate them. God is who He is. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit who convicts. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit who rebukes and the Spirit who encourages. And notice what God told Moses. And you tell people this today, and, and so many people, through deficient character and understanding, can't handle it. God tells Moses, the tablets you broke. That's the truth. God just states the truth. Moses, you broke the tablets. That's not being mean-spirited. That's just a fact. The truth is, is you broke it. The truth for some of you is, is you dis- dysfunctional. The truth for some of you is, you broke it. And that's not being mean-spirited. Declaring the truth and the fact is not being mean-spirited. That's what God does. He tells Moses, you broke it. But in the same moment, He says, but I'm merciful, I'm forgiving, I am gracious, I am long-suffering, I am ready to forgive. I'm abounding in the ability to restore. Hallelujah. See, the call hasn't changed. The call of accepting that the Word of God hasn't changed. But you know what else hasn't changed? The character of God who's ready to forgive you and I where we have broken the Word. 
where we have broken things. Where we are broken, He's ready to heal. Where we've allowed darkness in, He's ready to cleanse and allow His light to fill. But notice it also says, but by no means clearing the guilty. So God's mercy and long-suffering and graciousness is so you and I will finally get to acknowledge and confess the truth that we're broken. And the reason you and I should be always able to acknowledge the truth is because the character of God is always the same and He's ready to heal and forgive where and what we've broken. It's an amazing thing. So the Word hasn't changed. The ministry of the Spirit hasn't changed. The character of God hasn't changed. David in Psalms 86 and 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Watch this. And truth. I mean, you don't need mercy if you don't know that there's some truth that you've not upheld in your life. You don't need forgiveness if there's not some truth that you've acknowledged that needs to be forgiven. In Psalms 100 and verse 5, Psalmist says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Notice that. God's Word remains the same and endures to all generations. doesn't matter it's 2022. It doesn't matter what society says. His Word remains the same and endures to all generations. And guess what else? His character. His character that's ready to forgive. His character of mercy. His ability to suffer long waiting for you and I to finally come to the truth that we have broken it. We are broken. We're in need of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. We're in need, O God, our Creator, of your help. So the word hasn't changed, it it endures to all generations. His mercy, his character, his long-suffering hasn't changed, it endures to all generations. The Spirit's ministry hasn't changed. So the charge hasn't changed, and then thirdly, the call hasn't changed. He says, but you, somebody say you. But you, somebody say but you. Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I love that. He says, but you. But you what? Timothy, there's going to be teachers that are going to say what is not sound. There's going to be teachers that are going to say what people want to hear. There's going to be people that are lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. There's going to be perilous, stressful times, but you. I love it. What he says is though there's chaos, But you be calm. But you. Some of you today say, you don't understand, they have changed. Just like what Paul tells Timothy, but you. The world has changed, but you. The American church has changed, but you. My friend has changed, but you. What's he saying? He's saying, you are empowered even when things are changing by the hour. That even when you find yourself in unexpected change and you find people changing and circumstances changing and seasons changing and so much around us changing, He puts the focus back to, but you, you are empowered. Oh man and woman of God in Christ, you are empowered. You are empowered to do what? To be watchful. He says that when there are things going on that you didn't get to vote on, 
you didn't get to sign your signature of approval on. He says, but you still have some things that you're empowered that you can do. And he says, be watchful. The Greek word watchful means to be sober, to be calm and collected in spirit. To be tempered, to be wise. He says, but you can be watchful. You can be watchful. What's he mean? He's talking about that you, even though there's chaos, can be, you can be calm. You, even though when people are turning away from the truth, you can turn to truth. You know how you get this calmness though? You get it in prayer. From the presence of the Lord. That's why Jesus in Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what that means? It means every day people are either going to encounter our flesh or they're going to encounter our spirit. And Jesus says what determines if they encounter us in the spirit, calm, even though there's chaos, watchful, even though there's so many things going on, is if we've been in prayer and receive strength from Him in prayer. See, listen to me. There's a difference between Chad in the Spirit and Chad in the flesh. And there's a difference. A difference between King in the Spirit and King in the flesh. And there's a difference between you in the Spirit and you in the flesh. And in our flesh, no good thing dwells. When you get Chad in the flesh... It's when I need you to forgive me because it's ugly and it's not good. And he tells Timothy, listen, there's a lot of unexpected change that has been forced upon you, but you are empowered to be able to be calm in the chaos if you'll be watchful in prayer. Because in prayer in the presence of God, you'll get in the Spirit. And you'll not be moved by the flesh. You'll not be moved by what you feel. You'll not be moved by all those other voices that make a lot of noise, but they're not sound. So he says, be watchful in prayer. And then he says to Timothy, he says, endure afflictions, do the work. Watch and then work. The Greek word work there means business, employment, that which anyone is occupied. What he's saying is, is if you got work to do, then do the work. Now here he highlights for Timothy that part of the work he had to do was that of an evangelist. But all of us have work to do. Some of you, your work is engineering. Some of your work is dealing with, with tech. Some of your work is a teacher or a principal. Some of your work is being a coach. Some of your work is to make home. You stay at home. And the Bible says a homemaker. It means you're a creator of a context for your children and your home. But he says, if you have work, wherever you're employed, if you have work to do, then do it. Be watchful and then work the work. Why? Because when we're watchful in prayer, in spirit, we'll be able to be empowered to work the work we're called to do, and the end goal is then to witness. He says, be watchful. 
He says, do the work, and then He says, fulfill your ministry. What's the ministry? What God's been doing in every generation. Trying to make Himself known. To make the invisible God visible through His Son, Jesus Christ. To allow the showbread to be displayed in every context, in every field, in every career, in every place. That the search that every human and every nation has is found in the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. That they would be able to have Christ manifested before them to taste and see the goodness of God. That though we are broken and though we broken some things and went against God's truth. He's abundant and ready to forgive. He's ready to heal. He's ready to restore. He's ready to revive. He's ready to equip you for a divine calling and purpose that He has for you in Christ Jesus. He says, be watchful. He says, work. He says, witness. It reminds me of the vision of this church of manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. In many fields, many different careers. As we're watchful, as we do the work, we'll see then the witness or Christ manifested to people. It's God offering that He's ready to help them though they feel helpless. He's ready to heal them though they feel broken. He's ready to have light to enter where they feel confused. He's ready to give them an oil and joy from heaven where they're depressed and oppressed. Come on, man, in Psalms 33 and 11. It says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Notice that. You ever heard say, Hey, hey, do you know what God's doing? You ever had those conversations? Like, hey, do you know what God's up to? Oh, God's up to something new. And okay, that's fine. But, but listen, never forget that God is doing and seeking to do what He has always been desiring to do in every generation. He is looking for places to dwell. He is looking for hearts to dwell in. He's looking for homes to dwell in. He's looking for local churches to dwell in. He's looking for communities to dwell in. He's looking to dwell so that He can make the invisible Christ become visible. To make the invisible kingdom appear. To those that's not seen the great light would have the light shone before them. That those that's not seen that there's great help available would have the help offered to them. God is not a God that wants to remain distant. He is a God that is looking to dwell in us and live through us. He's a God that wants to be with us. That's what He's been doing all generations. He's trying to go where there's been walls built. Walls of brokenness. Walls of hurt. Walls of deception. Walls of sin that has kept Him from that person. And his generation after generation, He's trying to tear down the wall so that He can dwell in that heart. He can dwell in that family. He's trying to rebuild the waste places. He's trying to revive the death places. He's trying to remove the sorrow and release His healing. He's trying to remove the depression and release His hope. He's trying to expel darkness and release His light. From generation to generation, the plans of the Lord remains the same. So when there's so much that doesn't remain the same and there's so much we don't know of the deglobalization of the world and new currencies and should I be ready for cryptocurrencies and, and there's so much that we've been thrust into without a vote, without an invitation, without a notice and yet in the midst of chaos, there's a way in Christ. Paul says you can be calm in the chaos. 
You can be watchful. You can still work. And you can see the witness of God doing what He's been doing in every generation. Generation after generation. Finding new hearts and new homes to dwell in. Rebuilding waste places. Starting a spring right in the desert of a lineage of humans and people. A spring of life. A spring of forgiveness. A spring of hope. For some of you, you might be the first in your family. For some of you, you might be the first home in your lineage. For some of you, you might be the first at your workplace. And God is looking for new hearts and new lives to dwell in. Or His kingdom that's unshakable. His peace that surpasses understanding. His joy that's not dependent on circumstances or happenstances. His righteousness that's not built on our own achievement can come and dwell and be revealed and manifested. As I was thinking about this, I thought about the man at the gate. There's a story in the book of Acts, in Acts 3, 1 and 10, and said there was a man who was born lame from birth. And they would take this lame man born from birth and they would sit him at the gate called Beautiful Day After Day and he would beg and ask for money. And it said in the hour of prayer, Peter and John went in the hour of prayer. See, some of you, the reason why you're not watchful and then it's hard to do the work and you see no witness of what God could do through you is because you ain't got an hour of prayer. If you don't plan to pray, you're not going to pray. Some of you still looking for the hour of prayer. No, 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 you plan the hour of prayer or you'll look your whole life. Because you know why our flesh don't like to pray? Because prayer is not exciting. See, you know why you get stimulated when a new movie comes out, a new clothes come Because that's exciting to your flesh. But it ain't exciting to your spirit because that's just temporary. But what's exciting to our spirit is the place of prayer, but it's not exciting to our flesh. There, there's no excitement to our flesh. That's why some people still struggle of being faithful coming to Sunday gatherings or, or growth phases is because they're still in the immaturity of their needing excitement to find energy. They're, they're needing excitement to the flesh to find energy to do. Now listen, the energy to do what God has for us is found in the place of prayer in His presence, not in the excitement, stimulation of our flesh. That's why so many places have to appeal to the flesh to try to just get people interested. No, no, my prayer is you'd get so aware of your brokenness and desper desperation and need of God that you wouldn't need anything exciting to run to the gathering and know that Jesus has opened a door for His kingdom to come in. And He's ready to forgive and He's ready to heal and He's ready to touch you and He's ready to fill you with His fire, with His righteousness, with His power, with that which you can never achieve or accomplish on your own. A fire that burns continually because it's not a fire of our own, it's a fire from heaven. A prayer life that's sustained every day because it's not a prayer life we build on our own. It's Jesus Christ empowering Himself to enable us to pray. But this man at the gate, he was, he was laid there day after day. Peter and John go in the hour of prayer and they see him. And the Bible says he looks to them and he expected to receive something. You know why he expected to receive something? Because he's been there every day. He's watched every person that's ever passed by him and he's learned to be a discerner of those that would give and those that wouldn't. He knows how to read their posture. He knows how to read. He, he, he sits there all day. That's all he's got to do is figure out. This one's going to give, this one's not. And they said, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and be healed. And instantly it said, he stood up leaping and walking and praising God. Because the kingdom of God, the next is now invaded into Him. Unexpected. 
He didn't know that that was the day that his next became now, that the kingdom entered and entered him into a new experience. But then I had the question, I'm wondering about the next morning. Because he probably woke up and thought this question, what am I going to do today? All he had ever known is someone taking him and laying him at the gate called beautiful for him to beg. See, some of you say, Pastor Chad, I appreciate your conviction today. I appreciate what you're saying. I'm not against it, that the charge hasn't changed and the call hasn't changed. But Pastor Chad, listen, I don't know the call. I don't know the answer to the question, what should I do today? If my next is now, and if God's design and plan restarts now, I don't know what my next tomorrow, what is it supposed to look like? What about the next day? What's my life to look like? Listen, listen. Those are beautiful questions. And they're questions that all of us that have followed Jesus Christ have had at one point in time. And the good news for you is that you might not know the answer, but there are answers that are confirmed and solid and consistent and passed to all generations. And when you have those questions, you don't go out on a soul journey off into the woods by yourself to try to answer that. No, no. You go to the people, the generations before you that had the answers, and I mean had the questions, but found the answer in Christ. See, listen, the reason why today's the day of salvation is in the kingdom of God, there's not earthly time. Paul tells Timothy right before all this when he gives the instructions, he says, God who gave us grace and purpose in Christ Jesus, watch this, before time began. What you need for your next, God had already given before He even created time in this earth. That's why next being now is not dependent on earthly time. It's dependent on you and I hearing the word of faith and believing that God is not a man that He should lie. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's ready to forgive. He's ready to heal. He's ready to take what I've broken and made it whole. He's ready to take the places where I've messed up and release mercy and healing and restoration. For though the mountains shall depart, though the weather shall change, though people shall fight over global warming, and the hills be removed, my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Times may change, seasons may change, people may change, the earth will change, but He, Jesus Christ, remains the same. His word is unchanging, His character is unfailing, and when we find ourselves dealing with change that's unexpected, we look to Him who does not change. Jesus Christ, our hope. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.